this, the events of this week um, make something I said a few months ago, I think, pertinent again. So this is sort of a variation of something you've recently heard. Uh, you've all heard of the events in Paris where uh, the Muslims uh, once again have risen up and uh, slaughtered some people. And as Kay was praying this morning, we have uh, several Shabbat tables that were probably very sad. Um, today's Torah portion sort of plays into that. And specifically, the story of the midwives and the story of God's name. And I will suggest to you that both of those speak to the situation in Paris, and they also speak to our situation uh, here in the United States today. Uh, one of the things uh, that immediately happens whenever followers of the God of death commit an atrocity is our elites jump up and say, it's a religion of peace. Not all Muslims are this way. We can't discriminate against Muslims. I mean, it's sort of like a reflex, you know. <coughs> and I, the way I sort of look at it is not all snakes are poisonous. But if you let snakes into your house, especially if you're look at, looking at a snake, you can't tell whether it's poisonous or not until it bites you. I will suggest that that's probably not wise. But having said that, both in Europe and in the United States, the people who are running governments don't see it that way. And they uh, continue to protect Islam. Uh, and as I say, every now and then one of those snakes raises up and bites. And oh, gee, how could we have known? So all this is by way of saying that the government is not going to protect us from Islam. One of the things that we've, reasons that we do constitute governments is for protection. I mean, that's one of the primary purposes of secular government is so that we're protected from our enemies and it's very obvious that both in Europe and here, that's not happening. And as we see from this week's events where there were hostages taken in a Jewish kosher restaurant and many of those were killed, God doesn't guarantee to protect us either. Okay? So what I want to talk to you is, is what do you do? Why, why are we doing the things we're doing, given that neither the institutions that we set up nor God himself promises to protect us in this world? Okay? Now let's start with the midwives. That's why the midwives come into this. The midwives defy Pharaoh. They don't defy him to his face. They make up this story that says, well, yeah, I know you told us to kill him, but as soon as we get, I mean, by the time we got there, the kids are already born, and there's no way that we can, you know, retroactively, you know, during the birth process, we could maybe make it look like a stillbirth, but once the kid's you know, alive, laying on his mother's breast and so forth. It's real hard for us to do something there. Not our fault. And then Pharaoh, of course, goes on to start throwing people in the river. So the question is, why did the midwives not kill the children? 
Because as we read the story, there's no conversation that I know of between the midwives and God. They do, but there's no conversation and there's no promise. So they step out and do what's right in the face of the secular government that's telling them to do what's wrong. Let's fast forward to another one. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Or for those of you who know spirituals, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they do defy the king because the king says to them, you guys need to bow down to this, this golden idol. And they basically said, up yours, O king. Um, doesn't matter to us whether God chooses to deliver us or not. That's his choice, not ours. But we are not going to bow down to your idol. And of course, you all know the story that they get pitched into the furnace and they come out not even smelling of smoke. So what I'll suggest to you is those are two instances where God, in fact, does reach down and does protect his people. But I will suggest to you that's not the way to bet. Okay? So, many more people die, of God's people, die without being delivered. I mean, we have in you know, several decades ago, we have the example of millions of his people dying. We have the example just this week of the poor people in the Jewish Delhi. And over and over again, people of God get whacked when they're believing in God, and the question is why? And I'll suggest um, there's two reasons. If God selectively saved his own people, it would negate free choice or free will. In other words, every time something happened, if God stepped in and fixed it for his people, then there would be no more free will because everybody would have no reason not to believe in God. And if God never steps in and saves his people, what that does is negates belief. So a God that is not involved with his creation from our perspective might just as well not exist. So you have this, and, you know, God gets to decide these things. I certainly don't. I mean, all I can do is observe. But clearly, constant intervention is not good. And clearly, no intervention is not good. And the rabbis say that miracles happen, but it's forbidden to depend upon them. And, and the reason for that is just what I said. Because you don't know whether God in his wisdom is going to choose to have a miracle in your instance or not. You just don't know. So what you have to do is you have to live your life as if there is not going to be one. And, of course, there are often miracles. I mean, you hear about them all the time. Uh, for those of you who have... Um, heard stories out of the various wars that Israel has had in the 20th century. There are miraculous stories of, you know, rockets coming right at you and all of a sudden going straight up in the air and exploding for no reason whatsoever that anybody can tell. Okay? So there are definite miraculous events that God orchestrates, 
but he doesn't do it all the time. And the other part of that to understand is he doesn't do it for your purposes. He does it for his purposes. And that's the thing that makes it difficult from our perspective. You know, we're here and we're crying out to God. And oh, by the way, there's another reason. I just said it. Not doing miracles every time leaves room for prayer. In other words, if every time you got into trouble, God reached down and did a miracle for you, I will suggest that your prayer life would probably be pretty stale. If God never did any miracles for anybody, I will suggest also that your prayer life would be pretty stale because there wouldn't be any point. Okay? So God deciding in his own wisdom when he is going to do what leaves room for prayer. And you can now interact with God and in a case where he doesn't choose to do a miracle, you have the option of comfort open to you. In other words, I know you're in this situation and you're just going to have to survive, go through this situation, but understand that I'm with you. Or, yes, I am going to deflect that car, or I am going to do this, that, or the other thing, and you're going to see a miracle, and that's wonderful, glorious. But as I say, it's not the way to bet. Now, one of the things that God says in Jeremiah is uh, verse 20 and 44. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, not according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. So what God is saying in there is I am in fact going to take care of you and I am going to preserve you not individually, but nationally. And I'm not doing it for your sake. I'm doing it for my name's sake. Okay. And that brings us sort of to the idea of horizon. I watched a video, which I don't recommend because it's kind of coarse, but the message of it was really good. And it's a stand-up comedian. And, you know, stand-up comedians, they tend to have rough voices. But his message was really good. And the, 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 the thing is, he, you know, he's, he's walking along, and some guy sneezes next to him. And he turns around and says, God bless you. And the guy says, I'm an atheist. And, you know, sort of, you ignorant fool, I know more than you do. And, you know, who are you to say, God bless you to me? And as I say, the, the comedian then went off into some things that I can't repeat. Um, but he's, you know, the stick went on. And he says, well, so what do you think happens when you die? And the atheist says, well, I die. My body goes back to the earth. My nutrients rejoin the world. And maybe a tree grows up from my grave. And I nurture this tree. And so the comedian then says, oh, yeah, and this tree is up there waving in the breeze, doing its tree thing, and along comes a forester and cuts it down. And it gets taken to a paper mill. 
and it gets pulped up into paper, and the paper gets shipped off, and a Bible gets printed on it. I thought that was kind of fun. As, as I say, I don't recommend this thing because he said it far more coarsely than I did. He was really annoyed with this guy. Um, but it talks to horizon. The atheist's horizon is from the time that he's born until the time that he dies. And this particular atheist, in his smug superiority, sort of comforted himself, if you will, that he is part of the ongoing chain of life and so forth. I find that pretty cold comfort, but you know, you find comfort in being compost, God bless you. Um, so our horizon is different. And in our understanding, the normal course of human life, every human life, is you have physical birth, then you live for some period of time in this world, which is where we all are just now. Then you go to natural death, which the Bible typically describes, in fact it did last time, as being gathered to your people, uh, sleeping with your ancestors, various terms, but the whole idea is you're gathered to your people. The next thing that happens is resurrection and judgment. And then for those who are chosen at the judgment or get past the judgment, then there's life forever. Okay? That's the human horizon. And atheists don't see it that way. They see the horizon simply as birth to natural death. Well, God doesn't promise to deliver us out of problems in this world. He just doesn't. What he does say is, over the horizon of a normal human life, I will take care of you. Okay? And as I said earlier, the idea that if you reached into this human life every time one of his had a problem, that would take away the possibility of free will. Because there would no, be no legitimate doubt as to his existence. Because every time one of his people gets in trouble, you know, picks them up and takes them out of the fire, or picks them up and takes them out of this or that or the other, there'd be no doubt. There'd be no reason to, to there'd be no um, intellectually acceptable reason to doubt that he exists. And as I say, if he never does, then there's no reason to worship. There's no reason for prayer. There's no reason for us to talk to him about the full range of our existence. It just wouldn't make any sense. As I've said, a God that's not knowable is no different from our perspective of there's no God at all. So, what's your best strategy? Well, if you're an atheist, your best strategy is to go with the crowd. In other words, you have this world that is going along doing its thing, and if you believe that that's all there is, what you do is you follow whatever that thing is and you know, either try and take, keep your head down and stay out of trouble or try and prosper or whatever, but basically it's sort of you hope that Satan eats you last. And by the way, that's the strategy of the New York Times when they 
leap in in these reflexively and say, oh, not all Muslims are this way. It's basically a strategy of, we hope you eat us last. Okay. And I will suggest that if you believe that birth to death is all there is, then that is actually a pretty good, I mean, you know, they're not stupid people. Well, maybe they are. Um, but you understand what I'm saying. They're intellectually very clever and bright. And so that strategy makes a lot of sense if that's all you'd think there is. For us, the strategy is different because our horizon is different. So an atheist has, for companionship in his journey, only society and other people. That's all he's got available to him. We have society, other people, just like he does, but we also have the companionship of God and the Holy Spirit. So in that sense, our strategy has to be different as we go through this world. And that, by the way, takes us to the name of God in today's Torah portion. As Moses is saying to, his, to the people of Israel, and there's a couple ways to take this, and we'll talk about the other one in Midrash, but for my purposes right now, God, Moses is saying, who shall I say sent me? And one translation of is, I will be. I will be what? I will be with them. So the translation of the name that God sends with Moses to talk to the people of Israel in their trials is, I will be with you. I will be with you in your affliction. I will be with you in the situation that you are in. And oh, by the way, what's the next thing that happens? Bricks without straw. I mean, all sorts of nasty stuff happens to them. And what God is saying is, yes, I will eventually deliver you. But that process is going to take a couple of years. And during that process, it's not going to be so pleasant for you. But I will be with you as you're going through that. Okay? And what God is saying to you is, I will be with you. He doesn't promise to deliver you out of your troubles, although he may. But what he does promise is that as you go through this, he will be with you. And, and oh, by the way, one other thing before I wrap up here. When God promises to be with you through your troubles, that implies that you will have troubles. In other words, a promise to be with you during your troubles doesn't make any sense whatsoever if there's never any trouble. Okay? So implicit in that promise is there are going to be troubles. But he's going to be with you. And the message over and over and over again in Scripture is be not afraid. Because God will deliver you, but that deliverance is in his time horizon, not your time horizon. And if you understand the difference in horizon, then the promise of deliverance is very clear. Okay? It's throughout all of Scripture. And he says, don't be afraid. I'll watch over you. I'll take care of you. I'll deliver you. 
that promise only applies his time horizon. 